You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Let me just say how excited I am for us as a church to be able to really think evangelistically and have a heart for evangelism in a very um, practical way. I, I am excited as I hear these testimonies and I think about what the Lord's going to do uh, in us and in our church and that the Lord may use these meetings to, to bring lost people to himself. That's exciting. And I, I am grateful for, Kyle, your uh, work that you've done to really get this all off the ground. So thank you for working hard at that. And we do look forward to just seeing what the Lord does. If you have any more questions about the bridge, every week there's probably lots of things we could say. Last Sunday, we gave a whole Sunday school towards it, answering even nuts and bolts questions. We know that on a Sunday morning, to answer all those questions could take a long time. If you have questions, you're wondering, okay, you said this, what does that mean? So when we have to, you say, provide a meal, are we paying for it? No, the church is paying. There's a lot of little things like that. We can't just always say, if you have any questions, please come see one of the pastors, especially Kyle, if you have questions about those things, so we can just clear them up for you. Well, today we're continuing on in a new sermon series we began last Sunday Rest assured, having faith to rest in a frantic world. So if you have a Bible with you, if you will make your way to Psalm 4. Psalm 4, and I want to read it together once you make your way there. Church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Last week, we kicked off this new series by reading and reflecting upon Psalm 
3. And Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 are very similar in both style and content. Both of these psalms reveal to us a major factor that causes us to be restless. And both of these psalms show us how to find rest in the Lord. So they both do the diagnostic work. What, what, what are some of the reasons we are restless? And they also give us a cure. What, what do we need to do to be people who are at rest? Think of Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 as a pair. They work together. If you were here last week, maybe remember me saying this. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. Look at Psalm 3, verse 5. The psalmist says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Past tense. This, this is a psalm written after the psalmist has laid down. He slept in the midst of being surrounded by enemies. And then Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. Look at verse 8 we just read. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. Notice Psalm 4, verse 8 is future tense. So in Psalm 3, he's laid down and slept. Now here we have this evening psalm where he's aware of some of the same challenges. And then he knows his soul has to be taken to task. That he can't just say, well, I did it in the morning. I asked for the Lord's help. Uh, early this morning, no, once again, as he lays down, he has to take his soul to task and remind himself who the Lord is. Here's what we discovered from last week. We, we discovered from David's example in Psalm 3 how the battle to rest actually takes place within us. The battle to, to be at rest is a battle that has to take place Within us, which is an amazing thought if you go back and you look at Psalm 3 again, because David was surrounded by enemies who were wanting to wage a fight against him. And yet, as we saw, the real battle was not what was going on outside of him and around him, it was what was going on within him. That's what we saw from Psalm 3 that the, the battle actually takes place in us, and this is what we saw from that psalm also, that the battle can only be won by looking outside of us. So the battle takes place within us, but we don't win the battle outside of looking outside of ourselves and by putting our faith in the Lord. We discovered last week it takes faith to rest. That brings us now to Psalm Today, we discover another cause of restlessness along with its cure. What is the cause of restlessness that Psalm 4 brings to our attention than to offer a cure? Here it is. Cultural animosity can cause us to be more apt to fight than to rest. Cultural animosity can make us more apt to fight than to rest. In, in both Psalm 3 and in Psalm 4, we hear David express the difficulty he was facing. And in both of these psalms, it, it's a clear problem being stated. David was facing opposition, persecution, and animosity. That was true in Psalm 3. It's true here in Psalm 4. Yet... 
Yet in the face of such hostility and in the face of attacks, notice this, David was at peace. And therefore, he stated with confidence that he was able to sleep at night. Though thousands were surrounding him, David was able to sleep at night, knowing that the Lord was on his side. Now, I know I don't need to tell you this, because you are fully aware, unless you've been living in a cave, our culture is at war. Our culture is at war. And because of all the friction and fighting all around us, we can find ourselves a little on edge and maybe even a little battle weary. I don't know if that describes you. These last few years in our culture, between racial tensions, political disagreement, and a pandemic, there has been cultural animosity. There has been a cultural war. And Christians of all people can sometimes feel most attacked. And yet, at times, as Christians, we can be leading the attack against each other And against those in our culture that are attacking what we believe. All these cultural battles and cultural animosity has made us to feel restless, has it not? Just feel restless. Yes, there is a war going on within us as we saw in Psalm 3. And we we must always deal with that battle within first. But we, we don't live our lives in a bubble. We live in a culture that's affecting us. We, we feel the pressure. We feel the, the, the vitriol and the hatred and the anger and the, and, the, and the, 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 the disgust. And sometimes it may even be directed towards us because of the things we believe. And that can just make us restless. I think we're very restless as a people right now. That's why we need Psalm 4. And here's the main takeaway from Psalm 4 today. It's going to be up here on the screen. This is the truth we take away. Confidence in God's care for his people should cause us to be at peace even in the face of persecution. If I was to summarize, what's the point of Psalm 4 in a single sentence? This this, this is it. Confidence in God's care for his people should cause us to be at peace in the face of of persecution. We're going to break up this psalm this morning into three sections. In verse 1, call on the Lord with confidence during times of trouble. Verses 2 through 5, call those who cause us trouble to trust the Lord. And verses 6 through 8, confess how good it is to trust the Lord. That's how the psalm breaks down into these three Section. So let's begin our time this morning reflecting on Psalm 4 by returning to verse 1. And this first point, call on the Lord with confidence in times of trouble. I want to read this verse again. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. 
You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 4 is a psalm of confidence. And that's an important thing when we're reading the psalms to ask, what genre of psalm is that? Obviously, we know the psalms are wisdom literature, that they're also Hebrew poetry. But the psalms aren't all the same. They're not all happy clappy. There there are psalms of lament. There are psalms of thanksgiving. And in this case, Psalm 4 is a psalm of confidence. And notice how David is asking the Lord to do something for him from a place of confidence. He is asking, but he's not doing so with kind of a cross your fingers. Oh, I, I hope the Lord answers. No, he's asking from a place of confidence. Look at the second half of verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So why does the psalmist pray and ask the Lord for help? Because he has seen God's past faithfulness. Looking back at the Lord's past faithfulness provided David fuel for prayer. Why could he continue to pray when the, when the battles didn't stop? When he faced opposition, because he had seen time and time and time again the Lord answer his prayer. Look back at chapter 3, verse 4, or Psalm 3, verse 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Here is the psalmist aware that he has spoken to God and has asked God for things. And God has time and time again answered his prayer, which only gives him fuel to pray even more. Now, if you're wondering at the beginning of this verse, why does David call the Lord the God of my righteousness? By having a relationship with the Lord, David was now considered as one of the righteous, those who love the Lord and love his ways. And this distinction is very important in the book of Psalms because of the way the book of Psalms begins. Psalm 1. We're not going to read the whole psalm, but Psalm 1 begins this whole book by telling us there are two kinds of people in this world. There are the wicked and there are the righteous. Here's what the wicked are like. Here's what the righteous are like. Listen to how Psalm 1 ends, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So David is saying, I'm I'm one of the righteous. Not that he's perfect, not that he's blameless, not that he's without sin, but he's one of those that is in this category that we see all throughout the Psalms. This is God's way of speaking about his people. They're the righteous ones. They love his word. They, They meditate on it day and night. They're not people who scoff at it like the wicked. They see the delight that's found in knowing God and loving God. And David is saying he's one of those. So here's another question. What does David mean when he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress? Well, that word distress here 
in this verse is actually the same word used in the Hebrew for the word foes in Psalm 3, verse 1. Look at Psalm 3, verse 1. How, O Lord, how many are my foes? That, that's the same word. The same word for foes is the same word for distress here in verse 1. There, there's an obvious correlation, once again, between Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. Not just that one's a morning psalm and one's an evening psalm. Here's the psalmist speaking about his enemies... And in the next verse, instead of calling them his enemies, he uses the same word speaking of distress. You could actually translate this part of the verse, you have given me relief when I was in distress this way. You've made a way for me when I was in a bind. That's really more literally how it, how it reads. The psalmist is saying, God, I have found myself in a bind. I have found myself in a jam, in a tight place where I, I didn't have any way to escape. And you made a way. You made a way for me time and time again. And pay careful attention in the second part of verse 1 to the word have. It's in the past tense. You have given me relief when I was in distress. This makes you wonder, at least it made me wonder, whether David was trying to connect this psalm with Psalm 3 by saying, when I prayed for help, you gave it to me, and therefore I ask for help again. Here, here's the psalmist asking the Lord for help in Psalm 3 from his enemies. The Lord answered, and the psalmist does what? He runs into a new situation, and he has fuel to, to pray with fresh faith. Lord, come to my aid again. Lastly, one more thing to point out, and that's how this verse ends. Because I think it's important for us to see, David says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Here at the end of verse 1, David appeals to God's gracious character as the reason for his confidence. David has confidence in the Lord. This is not a psalm of cross your fingers, hope God comes through. No, it's a psalm of confidence. But notice where the confidence is, is found. It's found in the gracious character of God. And, and this is instructive. Because I think it cautions us not to confuse confidence in God's grace with presuming on His grace. Those two are different. We can have confidence in God's grace or we can presume on His grace. What do I mean by that? It's not as if David was saying, well, of course you're going to answer. I'm David. And you answer all the prayers of your people. No, David's hope that God would hear him was not in who David was or what David had done. His, his confidence that the Lord would answer him was in the character of of the God he knew. He is a God who loves his people and answers when his people cry out to him. Friends, if you are one of his children, through Jesus Christ, you too can cry out to the Lord in confidence, knowing that he will answer you, especially when you feel yourself being attacked. When you feel yourself in the crosshairs of culture or others around you, 
you can cry out to the Lord and know that He will hear you. Time and time again, we see a pattern all throughout the book of the Psalms, not only here in the beginning of the book of Psalms, but all throughout this book, we, we see this theme. God is appealed to for help, not only by David, by all the, the, the writers of the psalm. God is appealed to for help due to the attacks of the enemy. If you were to read the 150 psalms, pay attention to how many psalms give attention to this idea. I'm under attack. I'm being maligned. You're, you're, you're being questioned. And therefore, I, I'm being questioned. Come to my aid. I have... Can't come before you this morning with an exact number, but I would say this may be one of the most predominant themes in all of the 150 Psalms. And how often we neglect that. God's people were constantly feeling the, the, the pressures and the attacks. And, and time and time again, what do God's people do? They cry out to the Lord. Can, can I point out another Psalm before we move on to point two? where we see David's heart on display, where the, where the situation is exactly the same. Because I think when we hear something from this psalm, it's going to better help us understand Psalm 3 from last week and Psalm 4 from, from this week. Look at Psalm 6. Just flip over to Psalm 6. And I want to read verses 6 through 10. Listen to this. Here's David again. Similar situation. And listen to what he says. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All the enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Here's another psalm, just two psalms later, where we hear a similar scene theme. But, but I, I wanted to draw attention to those verses for a reason. Did you notice what the psalmist just said? On my bed, I do what? I cry so many tears that I soak it. Why do I want to draw attention to that? Because if we're not careful, we could read Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 about David going to bed in peace and thinking David just saw the enemies and went, ah, Lord's on my side. Click off the light. Goes to sleep. Sometimes fighting for peace is loud and noisy and requires us to shed many tears. Sometimes sleeping in peace requires us to cry a river that only God sees, but He does see and He cares. We, we, we must not read Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 as if David just saw the enemies. He had such faith, he just laid down. Without maybe he got to the place of peace after hours of wiping his eyes. Here's a point of application for us all. I want to encourage you in. 
I was reminded of myself this week as I was taking time to just reflect on Psalm 4. I want to encourage us all, spend far more emotional energy this year talking to the Lord about the battles you're fighting. I don't know about you, but let me confess for me, I spent far more time in 2021 talking to others about the battle I was fighting than talking to the Lord. We can spend far more time on the internet talking about the the enemies, the opposition, those who are opposing us. But how often, when the door is closed and the lights off and we're in our prayer closet or laying in our bed, are we talking to the Lord? Are we spending emotional energy to say, oh Lord, I feel the target on my chest. Come to my aid. I know you hear me. I'm not alone. I feel alone. And I don't know why you're waiting so long, why you've allowed all this to keep taking place and my name to be, you know, just dragged through the mud, but it has been. But, oh, Lord, would you come to my aid? What do we do? We often don't pray that way. We call a friend for coffee. And there's all of our emotional energy. You will never believe what happened. You will never believe all the pain I feel. Those are good moments to have fellowship with people, but they're not supposed to replace that time with the Lord, where in with the Lord we have an emotional transparency and honesty. So let us, let us learn from this psalm to be far more transparent with the Lord and to give emotional energy talking to the Lord about the pain we're feeling. Now that brings us to verses 2 through 5. Call those who cause trouble to trust the Lord. That's the point of verses 2 through 5. Does, does it surprise you as I was reading this psalm to overhear David speaking to those who are attacking him? But that's exactly what he's doing in verses 2 through 5. We may not catch it at first. We, we know that all of a sudden something shifts after verse 1. But what David's doing in 2 through 5 is he's now talking to those. Talking to his enemies. Talking to his foes talking to those who've been saying all these kind of things about him. And listen to what he says in verse 2. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Notice what the psalmist, what David just did here in verse 2. He has these two rhetorical questions that begin with the word how long. Twice, how long? How long? And the rhetorical questions, by asking these two questions in the manner in which he did, David wasn't looking for an answer. He's not saying to his enemies, hey, I was just kind of wondering, how long are y'all going to keep up at this? Six months? A year? No, he's not. A, it's a rhetorical question. By saying, how long? Do you know what he's doing? He's actually saying, there's an expiration date to how long you're going to do this. I don't know when it is, but God's not going to let you keep doing this. So how long are you going to keep doing it? You see the force of it? David's not asking a question, seeking an answer. He's expressing confidence. How long are you going to do this? And what exactly are they doing? Well, we see here in verse 2, they're seeking to ruin David's reputation through slander and lies. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies. Can you relate to this? Have you ever been slandered for your faith? 
Have you ever been persecuted because you took a stand for what was right, but it was unpopular, but you felt like the Lord was calling you to do it and you were right to do it, even though everyone else did not throw you a parade or pat you on the back? Have you ever experienced that? That's what the psalmist was experiencing. We don't know all the things being said, but they, his enemies are saying all kinds of things about David. Lies, things that aren't true. Seeking to bring shame and dishonor to discredit his reputation. And David lets them know, you're only going to do this for so long. Because God's going to come to my aid. And we see that in verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. The Lord will hear my prayer. Notice what David does here. He communicates with such confidence before his accusers. He says to them, the Lord will answer my prayer and he will come to my aid. And why does David communicate that to his enemies. He's not just, once again, communicating confidence to, uh, in the Lord. He's communicating confidence in the Lord to his enemies. He's doing it for a reason. He wants them to know that the Lord is his refuge. You can attack me, but I want you to know the Lord is my refuge, and in him I will be safe. Here's another primary theme of the book of Psalms. You walk throughout the Psalter, whether you see this word used or the implications of this word, how many times does the word refuge and the concept of refuge come out? The psalmist says, God is my refuge. You can attack me. You can come at me. You can say whatever you want to say about me, but God is going to be my refuge. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 5, verses 9 through 12. Similar situation. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. So here's a similar situation. People speaking lies, saying things that aren't true. Then David prays, make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Do you hear that? The psalmist has confidence. Therefore, he goes to God as a refuge. Psalm 7 verse 1. You hear it again. Oh Lord my God. In you do I take refuge. Save me. From all my pursuers. And. Deliver me. Friends David's words here. In verse 3. Make it abundantly clear. That he will not war with those who oppose him. He's not going to be at war with them. They're at war with him. And most importantly, they're at war with God. So he takes his refuge in the Lord. And he will not war with them. Why? Because the Lord will eventually bring shame upon them. And he will vindicate David's name. 
That's why David doesn't have to fight for himself. Because God will bring shame. If you didn't hear it in Psalm 5, go back and look at it again. It's all throughout the psalm. God, you show them. Make it clear that they were wrong and make it clear that I was right. And here's the most important thing. Because David didn't go about fighting back. He could call on those who were causing him trouble to put their trust in the Lord. That's what he does in verse 4 and 5. He calls on those who are causing him trouble to trust the Lord. Because he wasn't spending all of his emotional energy defending himself and fighting against them, what he could do is then turn around and cause those who caused him trouble to trust in the Lord by repenting. That's what's happening in verse 4 through 5. Turn. That's what the word repent means. Turn, O Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 6. I'm in the wrong, wrong passage. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent, he says. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Notice how he began verse 4. Be angry but do not sin. That, that word anger here is not the same word used in Psalm 2, verse 12, where he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in his way. It, it, it's not the same word. and It's not communicating the, the, the same kind of idea of anger. It's most likely more of a trembling or a quaking. They're, they're upset about something. See, these are people that are extremely upset and they're taking it out on David and he's calling them to turn from their sin and to trust the Lord. Here are people who are, who whatever reason, for whatever reason, they're just so upset. And in their, and in their, their anger, in their, their, their frustration, whatever word you want to put on it, they're sinning. And David's saying, listen, whatever's got you so wound up, this is a time for reflection, not a time to keep responding the way you are. This is a time for you to do something different. David informs them that as they lie down at night, they should see it as an opportunity to stop and consider their own hearts and then to turn to the Lord and to trust Him. That's what he's calling them to do. Now, why did David do this? Because he had his opponents actually hear him? I mean, do, do, do we know if this was a psalm that would have been read among his opponents? We don't know. But here's what we can see. Regardless of whether his opponents could hear him, David models for us the kind of heart we should have towards those who oppose us in our Whether his opponents could hear him or not, what David speaking these words are doing, they're posturing his heart. Remember we talked about that last week and we saw in Philippians 1 and even Jesus in the garden. Prayer isn't just something we offer to get something. Prayer changes us. And David is teaching the people of God when they sing this song and they're facing enemies, posture your own heart towards those who criticize you and attack you. 
So he models for us how we are to respond to those who oppose us. And here's what we take away from David's response. We should be concerned about the state of their soul. More than David was worried about his reputation, David was worried about the state of the soul of those who were attacking him. That was far more concerning to him than all the lies and the things they were saying about his reputation. He saw through it all. He said, these are people who are in trouble. Not with me. These are people who if they aren't changed, because they display a, right, a wicked heart, they will eventually experience God's righteous judgment against them. Listen to Psalm 5 again, verse 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Now look at, listen to Psalm 7, verse 12 and 13. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared him in his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. The psalmist, though he is so obviously concerned about the attacks, he is far more concerned if these people don't turn. Their wickedness will not be overlooked. Their lies, their love for the things of the world, and their disdain for the things of God will not be a small thing on the judgment day. And they're going to perish. And they're going to experience the wrath of God. We, you, maybe we could say, but isn't this the Old Testament? Is this what the New Testament says? Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or for, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the good news. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is a sobriety in these warnings and there is the beautiful good news of the gospel. That such were some of you, Paul says, as he looks out, as he thinks about this church that he's writing to. But God changed you. And he forgave you. Not because of anything you did, but because of Christ alone. But if that has not happened, 
If someone has not turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus, they will experience the judgment of God. And that mattered to David. It was on his heart, and it, it influenced how he acted towards those who attacked him. Now, that brings us to verses 6 through 8, this last part. Verses 6 through 8, we see that we're to confess how good it is to trust the Lord. Look again at the beginning of verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Notice what's happening here. David is just in this song. He's saying, here's what I told my enemies. Lie on your bed. Deal with your heart. Trust the Lord. And their response, who's going to show us some good? Why why would we do that, David? Who's going to show us any good? Obviously, these are people who are not satisfied with life. And they're taking it out on David. And they've blamed him. And and they seem to be blaming the God of David for their unhappy state. So what did David do in light of their response? Notice what he does. So instructive. He asked the Lord to show them what he knows to be true. Look what they say at the beginning of verse 6. Who will show us some good? Notice what David does. He prays, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. What David just said, Lord, show them favor like you've shown me. They don't see it. The reason they're at war, the reason they're so angry, the reason they're so hostile, the reason they're attacking is they don't get it. They don't see it. They don't know what I know. So show them. Lift up your countenance to them. Show them your face. Most commentators on the book of Psalms would say this is one of four places in the first place where the psalmist is referencing what's known as the Arianic blessing. Remember, Aaron blessed the people in number chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And listen to how he prayed and see if you don't see it in this psalm. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What does David do And the response of his enemies when they say, what good would that do for us, David? That we turn to the Lord. David says, I'm going to pray. In light of Aaron's prayer of blessing, that they would experience that. See, David sees the miserable state of his enemy and he asks God to reveal himself to them so they too can experience the joy that he has Look, look, look at verse 7. He expresses this joy. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So why did he pray, Lord? They say, what good is this going to do us? 
And he says, oh Lord, would you lift up your face to them? So here's, here's why. So that they will know the kind of joy I have. What kind of joy do I have? I have more joy than they've ever had than when there is a feast on the table and the wine is flowing freely. Here's an image of abundance and joy and a great time. These people have known a great time. And Lord, you give more joy than they've ever known in this life. Give it to them. See, David is confessing how good it is to trust in the Lord. See, David wants his enemies to experience the kind of joy he's experienced. Friends, are you aware... That maybe those who rail against you and those who rail against God's standards long for joy. And yet they are the enemies of their own joy. If you just see them as the enemy, how dare they say that? But if you see them as lost people who one day will be separated from God and will experience the righteous judgment of God, it will change your perspective. And if you see, these are people who are angry because they're so unhappy. And the very happiness they think they want is the very thing they are spitting upon. The, the, the joy that's found in the Lord. They curse the commandments of God. And they wonder why they're not so happy. So what do they do? Do they turn? No, they just dig their heels in. It ought to cause us to have pity. It ought to cause us to say, oh Lord, do a work in their hearts. These people may be looking for happiness, but all they find in the end is brokenness. So how should we view those who show such animosity? And most importantly, how should we respond to them? Well, for time's sake, I'm not going to read this passage, but go back and read 1 Peter 3, verses 9 through 17. Because it clearly tells us how we're to respond. You're going to see many words we just heard today. Mentioned in this passage. And Peter is going to quote from Psalm 34. It's going to sound exactly like our passage today. And then you're going to hear exactly how as believers under the new covenant, as followers of Christ, we are to respond. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. Read it later. But let's end by verse, looking at verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The psalmist ends with another one of these statements of confidence. Not cockiness, confidence. He says, I will lie down in in, in peace. I will sleep in peace. Why? For you alone make me dwell in safety. Can I return to that statement? From earlier that I said is the summary statement of Psalm 4. Confidence in God's care for his people. Should cause us to be at peace within. Even in the face of persecution. What we discovered last week in Psalm 3. And we see on full display here in Psalm 4. Is we see what it means to have faith to rest in the Lord. This is what faith to rest looks like. Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 have showed us this. David has shown us now in two psalms what it means to rest in the Lord. David actively put his trust in the Lord. And he did so with peace in his heart 
though he was under attack. See, David had confidence in two things that, brothers and sisters, we must have confidence in when we are being attacked for our faith. In closing, I want to suggest these few things. Two things you must have confidence in when you feel like the crosshair is on your chest. Number one, you must have confidence that he cares for you and that he hears the cry of his children. I don't just mean up here. I mean, do you really believe that when people are maligning you and weeks go by, months go by, a year goes by, and the Lord hasn't shut their mouth, do you believe he still cares and he's still listening? Because I can tell you what we're all to be tempted to do. As soon as God doesn't strike them dead, shut their mouth, and vindicate us, we're going to say, oh, Lord, do you hear? We need confidence. The only way we're going to be able to rest instead of fight, we got to have confidence. God does hear and he cares. And that brings us to the second thing we must have confidence in. He will vindicate the righteous who are under attack. One day, one day he will vindicate all the lies, all the slander, All the trash people may spew about Christians and about the standards of God and the people of God or about you personally, God will one day vindicate it. But it may not come tomorrow. So as we close, I want to encourage you to continue to put your your, your. your confidence in the Lord and to rest in him and to wait on him. And and let me suggest two things you should do. One, be familiar with the Psalms. This is a wonderful book to live in. This is a wonderful book to make personal. The prayers of the Psalms weren't just for a people back then. And they're not just for us on Sunday mornings when we open up God's word. And they're not just for Bible study. They're the cries of the heart of God's people for years and years and years. And and there are cries. Get to know the Psalms, sing the Psalms, read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, study the Psalms. Here's the second and last thing. When you are tempted to fight instead of rest, focus on the Savior instead of yourself. What do I mean by that? What I mean, focus on the Savior instead of yourself. Going back to 1 Peter, I wish I would have had time to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, but I do want to read these two last passages from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. This is what Peter said. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Did you hear what we're to do in those moments where we're experiencing 
reviling and slander. We're to look to the Savior as our example. And not just an example to say, oh, be like Jesus. His example is more than just an example to emulate. It's a saving example. Because had he opened his mouth, there would be no salvation. Because had he opened his mouth, he would have called a curse down on all of us. And all of the guards would have fallen dead. And he would have been rescued. But he let them call him all kinds of names. Even blasphemy. And he kept his mouth closed. So that you and I could be forgiven. And friends listen to this. Jesus was vindicated. But it wasn't through a not guilty verdict. It was through an empty tomb. God may vindicate you, but if you have an idea that vindication means God is going to immediately stop the mouth of those who spread lies, look at Jesus. He hung on a cross and died. And everybody thought, well, yeah, everything they said was true about him until the third day. So may we be people who look to the Savior and his example. Because of time, I just will once again give you 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, and verse 19. I'll encourage you to go back and look at those verses. Let me, let me actually close by reading verse 19 of chapter 4. I think it's a great way to end. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May we follow like the Savior. Did you hear what the Savior did? He entrusted himself to the Lord. And when we experience hardships, we must entrust ourselves to the Lord. And guess what? When we do that, no matter what's going on out here, there'll be rest in here. There'll be peace within here. When we fight out here, thinking that's where the battle's won, we will never have the peace we're longing for. Let's pray.